turn with me to Daniel chapter 3 again. Daniel chapter 3. That music was lovely. I think it glorifies the Lord and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Daniel, we're reading Daniel chapter 3. Consider, uh, continue our character study. <coughs> and I have a, I don't always have a title for my message. I have a title, and I think you might recognize what it has to do with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, because we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. If I speak too loud, it's with the hopes that everybody can hear me, because I know uh, one thing Bill always told me, uh, people appreciate it when they can hear you. The title of my message is this, it's found from a verse in the New Testament in chapter 12 of Luke, verse 48, to whom much is given, much shall be required. It's uh, a verse that I heard early on in my Christian life, and uh, it's the Lord's reminded me of it as the years roll on, every now and then, especially when I need to hear it. To whom much is given, much shall be required. The principle that we have in the Word of God and we're going to see it here in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, I want to think about that just for a second. And, and I want to tell on myself a little bit. Um, the Lord's used various people in my life throughout stages of my life to reach me when perhaps my desire for service was waning, let's say. We'll put it real nicely. <laughs> I was being lazy, perhaps feeling sorry for myself. Um, wondering why I should do this or why I have to do that. Really a selfish, uh, childlike mentality. I've suffered from that in the past. Maybe you haven't. And at different times in my life, sometimes Rick sent somebody to speak real hard words to me. Sometimes the Lord sent somebody to uh, say a little softer words. And this particular time, since he's not here, I can tell on him as well as Howard Ornsby, um, I was beginning to pull back a little bit, and, uh, and I voiced that to him. And uh, let me tell you what he said, because it had a profound effect in my life, and it has to do with this title of our, our message. He said, I guess we're different, because he saw I wasn't budging. He says, I guess we're different. And then he had my ear, and then he began to tell me things that I knew that we weren't different on, like... Since Jesus died for us, we should no longer live for ourselves. Oh, that hurt. Because <laughs> he's saying, well, I guess we're different. This is his motivation. He said, I just see whatever the Lord places in my path uh, that I, I can do with my hands, I, I pick up and do. It doesn't matter if I'm setting up Sunday school rooms. It doesn't matter if I'm doing this. It doesn't matter if I'm doing that. Because he gets the glory and it's all in service to him. So I guess we're different. Oh, he said that about three or four times. And he mentioned three or four key principles that we find in the Word of God in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. What he's done for us, the attitude he had, the example he set. And he said, I guess we're different. Oh, man, he, he couldn't have been more effective. Had he, had he come in with a sledgehammer, I, I, I could have withstood that. But those words and that example set me thinking. And I had to call him back and, and I said, Howard, you know, we're not all that different. You're right. You are right. You see, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Think of how much we've been blessed. If you know anything of the history of Calvary Bible Chapel, or if you've only been here a short time, we have been blessed. The input in our lives has been rock solid from the Word of God. Bringing our Bibles to church every Sunday, reading it at home during the week, talking about it, being taught from it, verifying that what we hear and what we learn comes from the very word of God, we have been blessed. We have been given examples through the years of people that have lived lives of sacrificial service, exemplary lives. And God has given us so much. And God says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm not just going to speak to the Christians as, uh, uh, this morning, but uh, as well I'm going to speak to, to those that don't yet know the Lord. There are those in our midst that have heard the Word of God. They've heard the Gospel story, the good news that Jesus died for their sins, and He invites them to life with Himself, eternal life, if they just recognize their sins, 
turn from them and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in the lives of individuals. The Lord gave all that to Nebuchadnezzar. To whom much is given, much is required. It begs a response. And so we're going to see that in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But I want that to overshadow the whole message this morning. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And I appreciate people like Howard that the Lord brought in my life. There's other people here that he's used in the same way to say just the right word, just the right time to jar me from my obstinance, <coughs> from my selfishness, from my self-pity, to recognize the reality of the truth that God lays before me with eternity in view. And so I hope that's my prayer and my hope for us this morning. Nebuchadnezzar had a witness. God gave him something for which he was going to hold him responsible or require from him. <coughs> we already read in Daniel chapter 1, we read about... Um, Ten days, um, men who knew God, Daniel. We have uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that didn't pollute themselves by eating the king's food. Very wisely, they went to the head servant and they said, listen, just test us. We don't want to eat the, eat the, the, the king's meat. We'll just eat vegetables. <coughs> and then look at us and compare us with the guys that eat meat. And then you decide. Well, at the end of the ten days, the Lord blessed them and they looked healthier than the people that were eating meat. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar heard about that? I'll bet he did. I'll bet he did. There's something different about these individuals. And at the end, the king examined them because they were going to serve in the king's court and his appraisal of their lives, we talked about it last time, the king consulted with them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Ten times better. So here's four individuals that love the Lord, that serve the Lord, that act in discretion and wisdom. And here's a person that doesn't know the Lord. He's a king. He's a potentate. He's got all power on the earth. And his evaluation is these individuals are ten times better than the rest. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. And God sent them to be a testimony to him. Next we read... And talked about <coughs> in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar, um, he had a dream. And he wanted this, this dream really bothered him. It's not the only dream he had, but this one really bothered him because the Lord made it bother him. And he sought to know the interpretation of the dream. And being the wise potentate that he was, he told his magicians and conjurers, I want you to interpret my dream. And they said, okay, tell, it what, what, tell us what it is and we'll interpret it. And he said, uh-uh, I'm wise to that. You tell me what the dream was and then you interpret it. Because if you tell me what the dream was and I, didn't, and I don't tell you, that means that most likely your interpretation is going to be correct. You're not going to deceive me. Well, they couldn't do it. And so he's going to kill all the wise men. <coughs> so Daniel got together with his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, they prayed for him and the Lord gave him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And he explained it to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar said after that. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Because then the king promoted Daniel. And so here's another witness that Nebuchadnezzar had. He had these four individuals that are ten times better than anyone else. He had things that bothered him and perturbed him about his dreams. He wanted to know the significance. And God sent a man to explain the dream to him and its significance. And he was just wowed. Wow. And so we have a witness and a testimony before Nebuchadnezzar. The question is, what did he do with it? Here's ten individuals that were different than the rest. Here's a fellow that can interpret, can tell me what my dream was, and then he can interpret it. And he comes to the conclusion that you surely your God is a God of gods. So he recognized that they were religious men, that they had a God, he acknowledged that, but was that good enough? Was that good enough? To whom much is given, much shall be required. And it, to me that speaks of Christians. 
God works in such a way in people's lives when they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that there's a transformation. And that transformation should be evident to those around them, family members and friends. There's something, di- there's something different about that person now. Is that enough? Just to recognize there's something different? You know? Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords. Yeah, your, your God's great. Good for you. Good for you. Is that enough? Nebuchadnezzar had that. Did he look further? Did he want to know, who is this God that you serve? I want to know him too. Did he go that far? No, he didn't. And that speaks to me of um, people that I see that have heard the gospel, that know Christians, that recognize the changed lives of those that God has touched. And they say, wow, that's a nice person. That Christian, they're all right. Yeah, good for you. You're religious. You follow God. Good for you. Praise your God. And that's it. God expects something more. He does. Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. Just imagine answering the day, answering to God one day after hearing the gospel after being in the presence and living among Christians, having not accepted the Lord, dying, which we all face, stand before the Lord, and the Lord asks, what would you do with what I gave you? What do you mean, what you gave me? Well, I set a witness before you. Christians with changed lives because I changed them. Did you recognize that? Oh, yeah, they were different. Did you know they served me? Yeah, they said they served you. What'd you do with it? Well, I didn't criticize them. I was good with it. God's going to expect more. He's going to say, why didn't you look into it? Why didn't you look into, well, what, who is this God that you serve? What is he like? What pleases him and what displeases him? We know Nebuchadnezzar didn't look into it because the very next chapter, and that's what we're getting into finally, after the promise from last week, we're going to read it this time. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, (coughs) and its width, width, 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors, the treasurers and the judges, the magistrates and all the rulers of the province, province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald, <coughs> then the herald loudly proclaimed, "To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn." the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship (coughs) shall immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar didn't really look into this God that so impressed him in the lives of others. That was okay for them, but, you know, after all, I'm the ruler... And there's a lot of gods that we worship, so that's good for you. we got these other gods. Well, Nebuchadnezzar went farther than that. <coughs> he made an image. Thanks for that. I have something here. Oh, sorry. He had an image made that displeases God. Have any image or anything in our lives that we set before us that takes the place of God. And that could be anything, dear friend, not just a statue. It could be our job. It could be a relationship. It could be money. It could be health. It could be a physique. It could be anything that takes our attention and the focus of our lives away from God. See, God's not going to have us neglect any one of those things. But they shouldn't take first place. And when they do, we set up an image, just like Nebuchadnezzar. And it's funny thing about the images people set up. They expect other people to bow down before them, to recognize their worth, to worship them just like we worship them. And they get a little irritated when we don't. 
You know, the, 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 I think the idol that people worship today is the idol of tolerance. You've got to tolerate everything, whether it's sin or not. And they don't put up with people that don't tolerate, <coughs> they don't bow down at their worship or bow down at their image. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, I think I'm saying it right, the psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the people... <coughs> nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made? Very well. But if you do not worship... You will be immediately cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Okay, we see a little bit of pride there, don't we? This was a king that was used to getting his way. <coughs> the only problem was, here are three individuals that served another authority. A God higher than this ruler of men, Nebuchadnezzar. And threats or no threats, they had determined what they were going to do. One thing I really appreciate <coughs> is the camaraderie that the Lord provided for these three individuals. They, had, they stood shoulder and shoulder, one with another. And they were looking at <laughs> pretty grim consequences, weren't they? And that was a perfect opportunity to one or the other to get weak and back down. But none of them did. None of them did. I've seen in my life, through my years as a Christian, many people come and go in my life where I fellowship at church. Great resolve, great ambitions to serve the Lord. Only when the going gets tough, they fall away. The Lord doesn't promise a flowery bed of ease as a Christian life. There are a great many challenges a great many tests from which many turn away. And they just rely on, well, God's a compassionate God. He knows how weak I am. And they just fall away. Some people don't fall away. They stay. But it's as if they fell away. I praise the Lord for those that the Lord has brought into my life to stand shoulder in shoulder with me at times perhaps when I was weak and just having someone propping me up at the shoulder, that was great. That was great. So I thank the Lord for that. Three men dedicated to obeying God no matter what the cost. And that's one thing I've learned too. If a person boasts that they will follow the Lord at any cost, the Lord's going to raise the stakes and it's going to be more expensive just to prove or to show you just how much you're willing to give in order to glorify Him. I think of Peter. <coughs> so these men were resolved. What was the result? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in verse 16, replied to the king. And I love this response. To me, there could be no better response. To me, this totally glorifies the Lord. And it's perfect. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're not going to. We're just not going <coughs> to. They knew a truth that God is able to deliver. And he is indeed. Does God always choose to deliver? In this case, he did. And we're going to see that. But they were ready to lay their life on the line for what they believe. And I know a lot of people, they claim a lot of things that they believe. But I don't know many that would lay their life on the line. This is what I believe. Life's on the line. That's when you know somebody really believes what they say they believe. Somebody says they believe something and they so quickly uh, abandon that position, you wonder, did they really believe it? Or with what conviction did they believe it? Not very much. So Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. Have you ever answered somebody and you knew you had to answer right to please the Lord? You knew it was going to make somebody angry but, and you tried to say it with the greatest respect but you knew it was going to make them angry and just made them furious? You just sort of hold their breath. Hold your breath. <laughs> well, he was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, he was real mad. His face was all pushed out of shape. So he answered and by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He's mad. <laughs> seven times hotter than usual. How much hotter can a furnace get? Apparently at least seven times hotter. That's hot. It reminds me of the time I had to heat up a piece of metal at 1,200 degrees and fire or oil quench it because I was tempering a dye. I'd never done it before, but you know how the Internet is. You just get on the Internet and look, read how it's done, right? So I heat this thing up to 1,200 degrees. Do you know how to tell if a piece of metal is 1,200 degrees hot? Pardon? Well, no, it's not white. It's not white. It's a, it's, a, it's a fluorescent yellow, but that's not how you tell. There's these special crayons. And you heat it, you swipe the crayon on the metal, and if it shows a mark, it's arrived at that temperature. If it doesn't, it's not at that temperature. And there's different temperature crayons. I didn't know that. I thought, that's cool. Order me one of them crayons, 1,200 degrees. <coughs> heat it up with a blowtorch. And it's getting red hot. Well, that's certainly, nope. It's getting redder. Nope. It's getting like an iridescent orange. And there it is, 1,200 degrees. Now what do you do? It said oil quench. Well, that must mean just throwing in a bucket of oil, right? My bucket of oil was a little bit small, but I'm smart. So I got a little piece of aluminum, and I'm going to throw it on the can in case it flashes. I throw it in. What happens? It flashes. I put it on top. It's like a smoke bomb with just smoke going all out of all, all sides of it. Filled the warehouse up with smoke, and they came running out of the office, you know, Set a fire? I said, no, no, no. It's supposed to be like that. We're just oil quenching some metal. No problem. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. So they went back inside and I, I, I you know, kept my job. <laughs> Barely. Okay. So this furnace was hot, hot. Okay. Hotter than 1,200 degrees, I imagine. It was so hot that the soldiers that were carrying these three, they died. Okay. says he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes <coughs> and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the commandment was so urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flames of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the people that were carrying them in, dropped them in the furnace, they died. Valiant men died. It just reminds me, you want to be careful when, you, when you're moving against the people of God. God has a way of protecting them. And the people that are against the, the people of God usually end up uh, suffering the worst of it. In the end, that's the way it's going to be. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Okay, so now they're paying for what they refuse to do. Right? Consequences of their stand for the Lord. How can God do that to them? How could God let them get thrown into a furnace? Well, let's find out what happened. <clears throat> then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was, not, was it not three men we cast into the midst of, fire, of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. 
And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Three men thrown in, four men walking around. Three men come out. Who do you think that fourth one was? That's right, it was Jesus. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. That's very significant. You know, after the flood, where God judged the world by water, there was a rainbow. And that bow in the sky God put there as a sign. He's no, no longer going to judge the world. Never again would he judge the world by fire. But there is a judgment coming. I mean, by water. There's a judgment coming by fire. The Bible talks about the lake of fire. The second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These men were thrown into the furnace. The difference between this furnace and the lake of fire is the Lord's not going to go into the lake of fire to walk around with anybody. That lake of fire is permanent and eternal, forever punishment away from the Lord. This furnace, the Lord was with them in. I want to tell you one thing. You don't want to face that second fire. And the only way to escape it is to come to know the Lord. Is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And with Him, you have eternal life. If you think anything's too difficult for you, if He's with you, it's not. Whether you're facing death, facing an illness, facing financial troubles, whatever you face, He can carry you through but you must turn to him. So look at all this that was before Nebuchadnezzar. He had ten men, or he had four men that were ten times better than anyone else. And they bore the name of God. They knew the Lord. He had one individual that can tell him what his dream was and interpret it, and he claimed to speak for God. <coughs> and now he has three individuals that have done something no one has ever done. Survived the furnace. Not just any furnace, a furnace heated up seven times normal. What a testimony. What was he thinking? If I were him, I would want to know that God that had that power, that people could know on a personal relationship like these fellows did. No other example did he have where you could have a personal relationship with God. And here it was right before them. <coughs> and he missed it. What was the result? Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace of fire. 27, or verse 27, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants to put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any nation or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, heap inasmuch as there is no God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pro, uh, prosper in the province of Babylon. <coughs> he recognized their God was great, made a proclamation, nobody offend their God. The question is, was that good enough? Was that what God wanted? No. That's what God wants is that you just recognize the greatness of God. God wants you to hunger and thirst after Him to the point where you look into what does it take to know God? And He'll show you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said, but as many as received Him, talking about Himself, to them he gave, no, excuse me, it's in John, it's probably John speaking. As many as received him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Children of God. 
relationship with God, a family relationship with God, to those that receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It's what it takes. John 1.12, John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, this is the Lord speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. There's so many precious words in the Word of God, promises, that anybody in their right mind would say, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a fabulous promise. Eternal life in the Word of God. You can have a personal relationship with God. That's what he's holding out. And some people will hear that and they'll just sit there. That's nice. That's nice. But just remember, to whom much is given, much is required. God will hold it. Hold you accountable. And especially when we think of those, think of the testimony around us. I think of the testimony of the saints, people that have gone through the fires of life and come out unscathed, unsinged. Whether it's problems with health, facing death, loss of loved ones, ill health, financial (coughs) catastrophes, great financial loss, material, uh, material lost, um, hopes dashed, and yet knowing the Lord, people come through those things unscathed because he's with them. And that's the testimony he gives to, to those around them. And here Nebuchadnezzar had this te- testimony. <coughs> what did he do with it? Oh, that's great. Nobody offend their God or I'll tear you limb from limb. As if God needs that. He doesn't need that. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to get through chapter 4. <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples. <coughs> I really wanted to get to this chapter because it's the only chapter that I can think of where a foreign potentate actually God uses to write the word of God. And it's because of the effect that God finally had in his life. The things that he finally came to realize. I don't know if... Let's look at what he went through. I don't know if you'd want to go through this to come to the end that he came through. I hope not. <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations and men of every language that live on the earth. May your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation. Now this is what he's stating after the fact. He's already gone through his lesson. And now he's stating it. So I don't think he's going into the situation with that kind of mindset. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him. <coughs> I like that verse because it's, he named Belteshazzar according to the name of his God. But to me, that's a little secret window into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar at the time. He had his gods. And this was the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This was the god of Daniel. But it wasn't his god. He didn't make God his god because he didn't seek after God on God's terms. There's a difference there. But God's going to bring him around. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. It was in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong and its height height reached to the sky and was visible to the end of the earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions of my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Verse 14. (coughs) He shouted out 
and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee under it, from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its root on the, in the ground, because, uh, but with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the new grass of the field, uh, around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. Verse 17. This sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Balthasar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Balthasar, was appalled for a while in his thoughts, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Balthasar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Balthasar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation... <coughs> to your adversaries, the tree that you saw which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodge, it is you, O king." For you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descend from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with, dew, with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. <coughs> One thing I've learned in my life no matter what area of life it is, whether it's life in the church, life at work, I've learned that no one is indispensable. No one. Uh, I used to, when I was younger, think, oh, it was going to be a big deal if I quit something. <laughs> Until I quit something and that was no big deal. <laughs> no one's indispensable. And here was a ruler of the world biggest city of the world at the time ran the whole show if anybody would think that he was indispensable I imagine it was him or he but he he wasn't indispensable God could have put anyone there and God could put anyone in my place and he could put anyone in your place whether it's here in the church whether it's at work wherever my, the Lord took my dad when I was 13 was the Lord not able to raise me Without a father on earth? Sure. God could do that. Nobody is indispensable. And so that's one lesson I learned from this. Because Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> perhaps he thought he was indispensable. Perhaps he had big thoughts of himself. After all, he did set up the biggest kingdom in the world at the time. He was a leader of among, among men, a man's man. And he knew how to carry out his business. One thing I like about this too is that God gives a warning. God gives warnings. Very kind of Him to give warnings. And He gives this warning to Nebuchadnezzar. How long do you think it was be between this warning and actually it happened? Or it actually happened. It says in verse 26, And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, make my, uh, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness 
and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. And so, <coughs> we see their sin involved. We don't see it before, but now we see their sin involved. Some of his sins, neglecting the poor, not showing them mercy. Oftentimes in the past, God has pronounced judgment on individuals to see them repent only to prolong judgment or even put it off to successive generations. Perhaps there would be this response in Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. So this is twelve months later. This is a year. Remember we asked the question, how long do you think it was? It was a whole year between the warning, <coughs> between the dream, between the interpretation, and between it actually coming to fulfillment what God said was going to happen. One, it really begs the question, what was he doing during that year? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was too busy to think about it. He was just too busy. Okay? He was administrating a kingdom. He was directing the satraps and the prefects and all those other big titles they had. <laughs> he was a busy man. Too busy to ponder a message that God had given him. Too quickly things came into his view that dissipated that message where he wasn't dwelling on it. He wasn't thinking about it. He was just too busy for God. So you know what God says? That's okay. I can fix that. I'm going to send you out into the forest for seven years to think about it. You won't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You won't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You won't have to worry about a roof over your head. You won't have any responsibilities that you have to make decisions on. you just be out there thinking. See, that's a scary thought. When we're too busy for God, what resources he has at his disposal to give us time to think about God. Sometimes it's an illness, being laid up in a hospital bed. Nothing to do but think. Turn off that stupid television set. Think. Sometimes it could be loneliness. Sometimes it could be a death of a loved one. Sometimes it could be our imminent death if we're given bad news of cancer. He was too busy for God. So God was going to send an illness his way. But this is going to be a mental illness. Give him plenty of time to think about it. So I'm just wondering. <coughs> I know there was a time in my life where God was really reaching out to me to speak to me. And I praise God that I didn't put him off. Because I imagine what it would have taken at that point had I put him off to get my attention. And that's a scary thought. So I have this question for you. If you're putting God off in your life, whether you don't know the Lord and you've been putting off that decision, whether you've been staying way out in the margins in view of all the witness that God has given you and all that he's holding you accountable for, what's it going to take? What will it take for you to stop being so busy, stop being so occupied with whatever you're occupied with, stop being so concerned with what you're managing or the goods that you have to care for to put all that aside and think about God? What's it going to take? Because really it's insane not to. And we're going to see that, uh, that how God, what, God, what lengths God had to bring Nebuchadnezzar before he finally thought about it. The king reflected and said, and, and at the same time, God's going to reveal something in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar that re resides within each one of our hearts, some, so, to some degree or another. <coughs> the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built, a royal resident by the might of my power, and for the glory of my majesty? Ah, didn't I do a good job? Isn't that beautiful? I did that. I designed it. I built it. I'm responsible. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be the be with the beasts of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle. <coughs> and seven periods of time will pass over to you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. See, God looks down and he sees that heart of pride. 
Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Job's cried out, look on everyone who is proud and humble him. And in 1 Peter we read, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know it's a proud heart that keeps us from repentance. repentance. It's a proud heart that keeps us from honestly and sincerely hearing and listening to the claims of God. Proud heart that says, I want to run my own life and I don't want God running my life. It's a proud heart that says, you know what, I've done so far, I've done pretty good with my life, so I think I'll keep running it. God has a way of bringing us low. I've seen people on their deathbed brought so low, being so strong, strong strong-willed picture of power in their own personal lives to be brought so low that they have to have someone else change their clothes. Someone else feed them. They're like a babe. They've been humbled. Is that what it's going to take? God can do it to any one of us at any age. Our friend Linda Brown, missionary to Brazil, she had a viral meningitis. She has to relearn. I mean, it's amazing she survived. She has to relearn the use of her whole body. She's like a child. And she knows the Lord. Imagine what it's going to take to get someone's attention that has turned their back on the Lord or at least put him off. I like to think of what was going through his mind during those seven years out in the field. You know, if he did have any reason at all before he lost it, he probably would have thought what great job he did. He probably would have thought of all the times of glory. He probably would have thought, wow, where are my friends now? He didn't have friends? Where are my friends now? Everybody's abandoned me. Wow, what gratitude. All that I did, the kingdom that I helped build, someone else is running it, they forgot all about me. There was a purpose. God was reaching down and putting his finger on something right in his heart that he wanted him to recognize. Pride. A little bit of meism. A little bit of I take credit. You know? God says, no, 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 no. I'll put anybody I want in there. Anybody. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar, I want you in there. But not like you are. I want you in there after I show you what's in your heart, the pride. And you humble yourself. Then you'll be like clay in my hands where I really, really can glorify myself through you. Took him seven years to ponder that or not ponder that. Lost his mind during it, but he came to his senses. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was filled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. (coughs) Talk about vegetarian. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Reminds you of a homeless person, doesn't it? Long fingernails, hair unkept, uncombed. Well, he didn't have the luxury of cardboard for insulation or sitting on an overhang like the guy I saw this morning. He was out in the dew of the grass, out in the cold. Nothing but himself. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyebrows or my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are true and His ways are just and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. See, that was God's objective. Humble him who walked in pride, which was Nebuchadnezzar. 
He came to his senses. God wanted to use him, wanted him to be in that place. But he wasn't, he wasn't in a place in his life where he, where he could be there, be successful, and God could use him because there's a heart of pride there that God wanted to work on. What a fantastic story. What an ending. Who would have thought? Has it ever happened where we'd have, we had a supreme world leader that for seven years was insane <laughs> and then restored to his kingdom? It reminds me of the individual that comes to know the Lord. We run our lives as if we're insane. But when we realize it's really God who rules and he has a right over my life, and when we finally open up the reins of our life and say, God, you run my life. Lord Jesus, take the reins. You won them by dying on the cross for me. That's the only time we're fit to rule this body. That's the only time we're fit to make decisions is when we realize it's really God making the decisions behind us and we want to do what he wants. That's when we're ready. Until then, we're not ready. And God, for those that he loves, he'll go to great lengths to bring them to that place. But it's scary when I think of what it's going to take. What's it going to take in your life? What's it going to take in my life for God to bring me to the place of usefulness if you know him or to bring you to the place of salvation if you don't? In closing, I'd just like to repeat an oft phrase that I heard Bill McDonald utter. Oftentimes we bemoan the difficulties that someone might be going through or perhaps um, something that we fell a Christian. He used to always say, Eric, the last chapter hasn't yet been written. The last chapter hasn't yet been written. And I'm so glad for everyone in this room, the last chapter hasn't been written. That you have an opportunity today to turn to the Lord. No matter where you are, if you don't know him, turn to him for salvation. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar during those early years where he just didn't have time. That was good for them, not good for me. I'm good with it. I don't offend their God. Just leave me alone. No. Find out, what does God expect of me? What are those things that please him? What is the way of eternal life? Ask those questions. And if you know him, and perhaps you feel you're on the sidelines for God, remember, to whom much is given, much shall be required. The New Testament says, by now, there are many that should be teachers, and I'm having to feed you once again like babes. May that not be said of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for your kind dealings with men. We think of your dealings with Nebuchadnezzar and the lessons that we can learn from it. And I pray for anyone in this room that has heard the message of salvation, that has seen the testimony and the witness of believers living upright lives before you, those that love you, and they have yet to take the next step to find out about you. Pray that nothing would be holding them back, Lord. Pray that it might not take <coughs> an illness or a death or an insanity for them to recognize you and your sovereignty, not only over the affairs of men, but over our individual lives as well. And if there's any Christian here, including myself, that somehow, Lord, we've shrunk back from full, heartfelt, unabandoned service for you, pray that you'd show that to us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.